Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and this is episode 144. I had a chat with a woman called Reb Fountain. She's a singer-songwriter. Um, she's a, a backing vocalist, a, um, a musician who does her own stuff and appears with a lot of artists. Is, um, has been a member of the Eastern. Uh, she was on the Neil Finn project from uh, last year, the, the album and the Facebook Live recording sessions. Um, I've seen her play with Finn Andrews from The Vales. I've... Yeah, I saw her as a backing vocalist for part of a David Bowie tribute. She was part of the last Walsh show where they um, did the music of the band with Garth Hudson. So she put out a couple of records oh, a good ten, over 10 years ago and then, um, and then she sort of disappeared. We didn't hear from her. And, uh, you know, it turned out she was making music in a, in a way, but also life um, life gets in the way. And then uh, in the last couple of years, she's put out two records, an EP and, and an album. And they were both recorded in the sort of like, I guess, 2013 to 14, 15 uh, period. And then they were released last year, finally. So this is my first time really properly talking to her. I think we'd, we'd met very briefly one other time and we'd talked about doing this podcast uh, last year and it hadn't worked out. She was in town to do a show with the Waratahs. As I said, she plays with lots of different people and she was, I think, opening for them but also performing as part of the Waratahs. And um, this is a quick chat that we uh, grabbed dur- or during their Waratahs soundcheck. Um, we weren't in the venue, but we went across the road to a cafe. Um, and so there's a bit of background noise, I'm going to warn you. We're sitting outside on a nice day, and you will hear um, at various points some clinking spoons and cups, and you'll even hear in the background, perhaps annoyingly, part of the conversation of someone else. But we had the microphone up close enough that you really hear us. And, uh, man, we had a really candid, full-on, actually full-on conversation at points. Um, we talked about some pretty heavy stuff, and I... I really like the fact that we talked about this heavy stuff, first of all, because one of the things we got to was this kind of conversation doesn't come up enough. You, If you've been listening to this podcast, you'll know I had a very full-on conversation with Emily Wrights a few weeks ago. Um, some of those sorts of topics came up here. In fact, really, uh, I guess I'm heading towards a bit of a trigger warning. Uh, there is discussion of depression and suicide and domestic violence and uh, things of that nature. Um, I don't think the details get too too gory and too heavy for everyone, but I recognise that any any one person has their own limits with this stuff. So I'll just put that out there as a as a, a mention of what is to come. Um, but I love the fact, listening back to it, I was like, man, not only are we having this conversation, we're having it in broad daylight in public with people who, who are around us who are having their own conversations. And, and I think that's how it should be. I think that's sort of one of the themes of this conversation. We also talk about music, the wonderful music that Reb makes and that, has, and that she is inspired by. And uh, I've been a fan of hers for a long time, particularly uh, the last couple of records that came out after this, what seemed like a hiatus. It was really lovely to hear her voice again. I, I think of her as uh, one of the great performers around in the country. She's, she lights up a stage. She's there for the music and she serves the music so well, whether it's her own tunes or or anyone else's. And so I'm, I'm pleased to, to bring this to you. This is me talking with Reb Fountain. So, I mean, we've only really properly just met. I met you one other time, I think, very briefly in a bar that you were playing at. I think you came and introduced yourself to me. 
Uh, I don't even know when that was. Oh, but no, it was a few wasn't years it? Ago. Here was Stan. Was it Bodega? Yeah, yeah so, yes, yeah. It was yeah. Um, uh, Skyscraper Stan was yes. playing and Ravens by Girl yeah, Band was opening right, and we were singing right. it as well. So yeah, I think yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know how I knew you. Maybe yeah, someone said, that's Simon yeah, Sweetman. Yeah, and I was like, okay, yeah, that's Adam. That sort of plagues me at shows. And, uh, <laughs> and so people find their way to me and I usually think they're going to complain about something. So when they don't, that's good. Um, but I mean, we've interacted a little bit online and I've listened to your music and seen you play heaps. So oh yeah, what did, uh, when have you seen me play? Oh, you've been on the bill at all, all sorts of things. Oh, okay. And I've seen you play... I've seen you play and do things like the um, Last Waltz tour, oh, the yes. um, uh, Finn Andrews um, yep. from the Vales, the solo show. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heaps of. Things. Did you come to the the Nick Cave show that we did in the Hawks Bay? No. Oh no, no I didn't. No, oh, this week, yeah. no, I really the one that yeah no that I really wanted to get to that and uh, that didn't happen in the end. How oh, we played it? in people, High Cup. People said it was good. Yeah. It, was, it would have been cool to do. It was so amazing. I yeah. think after, especially after having released my two yeah, yeah, records, yeah. and they were kind of so weighted and yeah. and old, I mm, suppose, mm, for me, anyway, mm, new mm. for everybody else. And then to kind of go from the Hopeful Hopeless, which is yeah. super folky, and then the other one, which was quite rocky, and then... Mm. To have something that was so new and mm. kind of fully fully immersed mm. in that was pretty mm. pretty awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, I want to talk to you about a few things, I guess, because um, I remember your first album was, was about ten years <laughs> ago, Holster. Uh, like Water oh. was before that. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What was then, the, what, yeah well, what year was that? I think it was two thousand six. And then I remember that one. Too. Holster yeah, was yeah, two thousand and eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I do remember that because I must. I probably got sent that so I do rem- I distinctly remember hearing this album by this person called Red Fountain as is the way when you yeah, get yeah. sent music to review you get new names who, who the hell is this yeah. what's this and I remember liking your stuff and then you disappeared yes for a long long time before we get into that I want to <laughs> I want to go even further back so okay I, I sure wanna, so yeah start at the very beginning I want to start at the very beginning it's a very good place to start I'll, usually it helps if we start at the beginning so I want to know um I guess how, well not how, but where you came into the world and what you were doing and when you sort of found music. I was born in Palo Alto, San Francisco. Uh, my family were all from North America, mm. Canada, the States, and we immigrated to New Zealand. Uh, we came out here on a boat called the Oriana and into Port Littleton. Um, and that was when I was, I think I just turned six, um, but we had come out on a plane before mm, that. Right. Um, my dad got a job at the university, right. and what the fuck were we doing yeah. going across the world at that time? Because, like, it was $3 a minute to make a phone call. Letters would take, you know, mm. four weeks to mm. get somewhere, mm. and it was it was far away. And Christchurch yeah. was super traditional, yeah. white, middle class. So even though we kind of looked the bill just being a migrant family were, was yeah. it was challenging we didn't yeah. sound it and we weren't like that at all we were, we were like way more casual mm-hmm. <laughs> the parents talked to the children kind of family people didn't do that here and so one of the ways that we kind of connected with other people was through music and my dad had always played the guitar and sung and he did a lot of music and actually music had always been in our families on either side Um, and so kind of naturally 
he and my mom did a songbook and we'd invite other families around and, and sit around singing songs mm-hmm. together and that was kind of how we built all our formative relationships yeah. in, in Christchurch. So you're now you're reminding me of some paragraph in a press release that would have been attached to that first yeah, album. Probably. And, yeah, but it's really good to have the, the the real the full proper version of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we and I guess because um, my my family are, were all musicians and creative in some way, and because they were from like a long line of migrants, mm. that was sort of something that you did. You just turned up and played the fiddle or the guitar or the piano, and you kind of that's how you morphed into a new city or a town or whatever. Mm. And we very much followed in that tradition. And yeah. um, and you know, I'm so grateful for it. Plus, my dad would sing songs to me every night. You know, like reading a book, he'd yeah, come and right. play songs, and and so that kind of. Uh, that sense of emotional connection with music really mm. came from there, like how you express your grief or your sorrow or your mm. or your joy, but mostly mostly sorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, I feel very lucky for that because I don't think I would have made it without having that in my life. Mm. You know, um, mm. it's been pretty pretty important. Mm. So when do you like? I mean, when do you consciously realise you're developing? I guess. A musical taste of your own because it sounds like that's a very you know not a forced you must listen to this or whatever but clearly your tastes are being developed by what you're yeah. hearing and having well of course having, we all do yeah. right we yeah, right. listen to the albums yeah. over and over again and put the tape yeah. deck on and yeah. um, and I, I guess I started to explore um, I started playing on my own uh, 14, 15 mm. and you know just little coffee houses and stuff mm. used to hang out the happy house in Christchurch was kind of like a weird commune space and just stuck with all the people that were there mm. and uh, and then I got into my first band Immaculate Sun when I was 16 and I was um, I didn't really know what I liked. Mm. I, all I knew was that I wanted to express myself in some way, so I kind of used the four chords that I knew and wrote, and wrote songs, but getting into that band, um, all of a sudden I was around way more competent musicians and mostly all I had to do was just sing. Mm. And so from that, and we would jam, you know, mm. like, and this whole another kind of side of me came out which was way more sort of rock and, and kick-ass, a bit psychedelic kind of as well um, and I I guess I wish that I had kept going with that but um, but quite quickly got afraid of the power of that yeah, <laughs> within yeah. myself, you know yeah. and so over time um, yeah, I think it's taken me bloody ages to work out who I am, what I like Well yeah, I mean, I, I feel like you've had, well, anyone looking at the stuff written down would go, oh, this, this person had a go at a solo career, went away and is having a go at a solo career again. Is sort of how it looks with this big gap. But w- what I've been interested in is, is how organic it's obviously been moving from stuff under your name to being a backing singer or a part of a band yeah. or a you know a cameo artist or because I've seen as I say I'm, I'm thinking the Bowie tribute you were part of that yeah. and uh, you know it, 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 it's sort of like what, I wonder what the motivation has been and what that's done for you because it kind of strikes me that you have an energy about what you do that's always there whether it's your name on the you know your name out in lights or whether your name's not even on the program, it doesn't matter to you. You turn up and do the work, but it's, it all seems to be going in the same direction, no matter how diverse it is. Yeah, I, I definitely wasn't always like that. Yeah. So you know, I started off, and I, 
we played Main Street in Christchurch and and um, I played electric guitar too mm. loud and, and mm. sang and, and um, but I think I think I got tripped up. I, I didn't realise how much of a sort of rock and roll dream I had sort of mm. <laughs> steering me and um, at the same time I had two kids and I was a solo mum so it all sort of happened quite quickly and so my first record like I had no idea what I wanted in mm. fact we recorded a shite load of songs and the ones that just finished first were the ones that went on the record yeah, so yeah. it wasn't at all organised or thought out and I mean we did our best my brother helped me and um, but it certainly I certainly wasn't thought through but from that, I, I did have a lot of expectations. Mm. I kind of thought you make a record and then you do something. Mm, mm. And, um, and well, those records came out at a time in New Zealand too, where I feel like there was a, a bunch of people that were being marketed as essentially some version of this oddly generic term female singer-songwriter and whether you wanted to be put into that or not you just ended up in that that was the only option and Ikemoa yeah. and yeah. Ikronga that's and right they'd come first kind of yeah. obviously there's people before them but in terms of the mainstream appeal of it and then there was you know yourself and oh, there was heaps of obviously Brooke Fraser and heaps of people and actually all mostly very different it was really difficult yeah. and it was still flip greater yeah yeah flip yeah. yeah and you still had that kind of there was still a little bit of money left it was yeah. trickling out yeah, and yeah, yeah. so people were vying it and it felt very competitive and mm. I moved up to Auckland um, I guess it was 2006 um, and I just immediately felt like I don't belong I don't have a place my music was really different from those women mm, mm. it wasn't kind of soft and pretty and mm. um, and I just I felt like I was an outsider mm. and certainly then that was reflected back to me in this kind of well you know we can't really do anything to help you because your music's not commercial enough or so I, I would play lots of shows um, but I didn't feel like I had the success I guess I had expectations I would have mm. and then I pushed through that but and made my next record, which was Holster. And by mm. that stage, I'd found this really awesome bunch of musicians who now are so, so amazing. Um, you know, and Simon Gooding, who's at Roundhead yeah. and yeah. played with me, Brendan Morrow, who's the, the map room together, and, and Dylan Story and Sam Preble. And mm. so I kind of was building this great thing, and they were really enthusiastic, and we did the record um, toured at ridiculous dates, like 28 date tours. But again, um, it sort of did well mm. on some level, but I think my expectations were higher and it kind of all came through a horrible head um, with some really shitty stuff in my life. And uh, my kids being of an age, it was harder to tour. I didn't have the support of their dad to mm. sort of like help out with the stuff. And um, I just started feeling really despondent, you know. Yeah, you're faced with a decision ultimately. Yeah, what, how, what do you do? And I'd spent, yeah. I'd spent so much money, right? Of mm. course, you're just pulling money out of everywhere to mm. try and make something happen mm. and not having that record. It's all going to come back one day. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, it fucking right? never does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I guess... For many years, um, I just had to subsist and live. And mm. these crises were so massive that it just kind of broke me. But it was more also an internal crisis. I'd been in an abusive relationship, was kind of coming to terms with how to ha have my kids with someone, you know, like be a parent mm. like that, and mm. and um, just move forward. And and I was super stuck. And 
had to kind of put everything aside. In the meantime, um, Dylan and Sam and I were mm. still playing, mm. and I was trying to do stuff, and we started making this record at York Street, and Simon Gooding engineering it, and Mike Franklin Brown and, and uh, Mike Hall came and played on it, and we almost completed the whole thing. But I just got through that, and then I was just super, super down and depressed, and... Um, and without any resources, like whether mm. it's physical, emotional, whatever, financial yeah. resources, and just needed to kind of hunker down. And um, health crisis is a new name. It, it was just stupid. And it took me really coming back, um, joining the Eastern, mm. to to kind of get back on track. Sam was awesome, Sam Pribble. He would come around and we'd play mm. anyway. We'd rehearse my new songs and try them out. And he was always so supportive of me, but I, I just, I lost all confidence. You so, know? you know, for people who don't know, Sam and you and Dylan all actually singer-songwriters all doing other things. This isn't just two guys that were supporting you. You all had different Different going. projects, You all yeah. had different projects going. You obviously had some real... Um, tightness and empathy towards each other as musicians and a yeah. real connection but yeah you, this is three different you're all you've all got your own projects you're trying to wow. do I know and I'd been in Dylan's band and, and yeah. Sam's band and we'd yeah. all kind of played in each other's yeah. bands yeah. and it was really at that time as I was sort of dwindling and inability to function mm. that um, Sam started doing his Bond Street Bridge a yeah. lot more which was yeah. so cool because yeah. he just wanted to go you know mm. um, and was really open to touring and doing whatever whereas I was at the, a little bit at the opposite of that time and we all kind of felt shitty about not having finished the record but he just went off and did stuff which was awesome mm. um, and had this thing sitting there so then I joined the Eastern and we well how did that happen well, I'd known... Why did, well, why did that happen? Yeah, you I know? guess... Because um, the Eastern sets up and goes for a little while before you join. Yeah, so when I... I guess 2006 or so, mm. the Eastern... I can't remember the date that they started, but the Eastern were Adam McGrath and Jess yeah. Shanks. Yeah. And they would tour and come and stay at my house in Auckland. And I knew Adam from... We'd met maybe at university, um, met playing music. He was in a band, the punk mm -hmm. band, The Civilians, and I was doing stuff in Christchurch. And, and so we kind of knew each other, but not super well. And I just, if I'd go down to Christchurch, and yeah, we just sort of started to get to know each other. And he sang on one of my songs in like water, actually, mm. um, in the early, very, very right, early yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was just before the Eastern. So we'd known each other, kept in touch, and then. The Eastern just, you know, they would tour. Yeah, I was going to say, that this is a band that just hits the ground running in a, in a way in that once people have heard of them, they're, they're everywhere because they're... Yeah, because they actually tour non-stop, right, you know, 300 right. shows in a just, bloody year. Just some hard-working musicians, that's yeah. right. And, and yeah, and I mean, that built, and so the membership grew as well, mm, and you'd have mm. this kind of flux thing where, you know, yeah. got up to like 10 or 12 people at some yeah. one point. Yeah, the core of it is these two people. Yeah. It's a three-piece sometimes, it's a five-piece but it can be a giant big party band. Ex exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so, and, and at the time it was Adam and Jess and Flora mm -hmm. and John O'Hopley, really the, the main. And yeah. then you had, all of a sudden you had um, Hannah Aldous Harding come in mm -hmm. and you had Hadassah Green and you had these backup singers, so it was building. And, and I, I was watching this happen, but I was still kind of in my own planet. Mm. Um, and then I think that was the earthquakes and the um, Harbour Union tour mm -hmm. where it sort of started 
we started talking about it maybe. Um, Adam has a much better memory than I do, so he would be able to tell you the whole story. But Oh, he has. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, I, that's on the podcast already. But, oh, yeah. But I've got to get your version of it. Yeah, and I, I think, and I'd heard, you know, they were like supporting Fleetwood Mac, and yeah. it was just getting ridiculous. Yeah, I saw that show. Yeah. And that's when I said to him the first time, oh, man, I wish I was in the East. And he was like, sure, come <laughs> yeah. on down, be in the East. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but it wasn't until sometime later that he called me and he said look Jess has asked me to talk with you and um, she's going away and we have to do these shows before the little band of gold and it's going to be me Adam and Flora Knight and the only person that we could think of to help us with this is you Mm. and I'd never you know I didn't know any of the songs really of course you know just come and listen but Mm. and so I listened to the songs and uh, flew down to Wellington for the first show and we rehearsed that t- that day before mm-hmm. the show mm-hmm. and went on and basically learnt the songs on stage in, in the Wellington Opera House and before the Little Band of Gold and mm-hmm. even did, you know, Adam's great thing is, you know, let's go a cappella mm-hmm. and even pulled us out into the front with no mics, you know, here I am and yeah. I'm learning, literally learning the, the chorus the first time round and then singing it the yeah. second time round and it was terrifying, mm. but oh man, I learned so much from from Adam. Well, I was going to say that just even that experience you're describing that so suits that. I mean, that, that's in, <laughs> that's in the spirit of not only the Eastern, but that's kind of in the spirit of Little Band of Gold, really. You know, they're a, 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 an amalgam rather than a group. They're just. Uh, you know, you get a different bunch of people every time they play with some core members, and I love that group. And yeah. I, I saw that show, but I saw them a couple of years before that, and it, um, both were great. But the time I saw them before that was just absolutely mind blowing. Wow, yeah. Because they played in a bar and played for about three hours. Yeah, amazing. And that was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that that kind of ethos really underpins uh, throwing yeah. it together. Yeah. I think you'd call it. Um, <laughs> but and for me, I guess. I learnt about um, letting go of expectations and that you work hard for your audience. You know, this whole, I was talking about it with with, uh, Simon Burt who runs house concerts up Mm. near Cutterton and we're talking about this whole thing, you know, like a lot of artists have expectations around what the audience should be like. They start talking and everyone gets pissed off and I, I, of course, you want that reverence Mm. but actually... I, from working with the Eastern, I, I feel like it's my job to make them shut up, mm-hmm. you know, and that there's things that I can mm-hmm. do to encourage mm-hmm. them to listen to me. If they've paid 20 bucks, $50, 5 bucks to come and see me, they've paid. Yeah. Their job is done, yeah. you know, and it's, and it's I, I think a lot of us, and certainly I did, had expectations about how I should be treated and what should happen for me in my career, yeah. as opposed to going, hang on, I'm working just like a plumber is, mm. you know, so I need to do a really good job and, you know, entertain these people. Mm. But the only way that I could really do that properly was to get over my own shit. And that's what being in the Eastern helped me do was because we'd be on stage and Adam would say, I've got a new song and we're learning it on stage and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And doing that night after night after night, I built up confidence that I could do it, you know, that mm. I and I started to believe in myself again, which I I just had completely lost that. And so slowly over time, mm. um, that grew into me re-engaging with my own music mm. and then building up enough confidence to even think about, ah, oh, my old record, what about a new one, you know? Yeah, and you know, I don't know how far off this is, but for some reason, the person I've always thought of when I want to think of an easy comparison to 
to what I think of what you do with music is is Emmy Lou Harris. Now the reason I think of her is because is it, it isn't so much that I think you sound like her or make music like her, but I think you perform your role in the way that she does because you know you could actually be a fan of Emmy Lou Harris and just listen to her duets her backing vocalist performances there's the famous story with her that you know I mean what you've just described about you and the Eastern is kind of her on a Bob Dylan record where she doesn't know the songs yeah and Bob just says that's all right you're a singer just sing here's the lyric sheet just do it and she creates these perfect harmony vocal performances on the fly but then she puts out her own albums, then she does, you know, and when I saw Emmylou Harris play, um, she ran out and played a couple of songs with the opening act. And then, yeah. and then just waved, in, you know, in jeans and a jacket that wasn't her stage outfit, <laughs> yeah. and then just waved to the audience, you know, wasn't introduced, she ran on, obviously everyone knew who it was, cheered. Yeah. Her, um, her opening act was her backing band, so, you know, um, she's, but it was just so cool that she went, ran out, no introduction, sang these songs, and then just waved to the audience like, I'll see you soon. Yeah. And uh, and it strikes me that you're sort of doing a, whether, whether it's planned or not, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, see not a, I see a parallel there. I guess um, I've just, I guess I've really learned to have a lot of gratitude around mm. what I do, and, and that's shifted everything for me um, over the past few years it's opened up to all those things that you're talking about. How did they happen? It's because I decided that I was going to back myself and believe in myself enough to do what I want to do. doesn't mean I'm not plagued with <laughs> insecurity yeah, and yeah, doubts, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that I'll still do it. You're a performing artist. Yeah. Of course you are. Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. You know, um, I, would, I would argue that it's sort of healthy and a weird way to have some self-doubt. I don't know any musicians that what, don't. Why would you not? You know, if, if, if you don't, you're probably going about it wrong. I think you know? I think um, I think depth is what I enjoy in a performance. You know, someone who's heartfelt and meaningful, mm. and and saying something more than just getting up there and doing a show. And I find getting up there and doing a show super fucking boring if I have to watch it. You know, I want someone who gives a shit about what they do. Mm. And you know, um, I guess I've been lucky to be surrounded by super passionate people who can, you know play in a bar band mm. but can also sing stuff that really hits the core you know mm. and um, they help me get over myself a lot in lots of ways less that I mean egos can be a flip side right often it's you know not just the bravado of mm. I deserve this but I don't deserve this and for me that was what I needed to get over was and I'm st you know, still working on it mm. that um, maybe it's okay for me to be here Mm, mm. and what I do um, so timeline wise you sort of join the Eastern but it's as you say it's a fluid flexible kind of lineup it's it's kind of all over the shop but you're there doing shows with them yeah so I started doing as many tours yeah. with them as much as I could and because yeah. <laughs> um, that's a workout as you say they yeah. don't stop so yeah and um, you know I still had kids and life mm, and everything mm. to yeah, so juggle how's that all getting Balanced. Well, over um, different ways. You know, every once in a while a, a family member was mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. um, the dad started to be a little bit more available, which was great. And um, I just juggle. Mm. I was always juggling mm. everything. <laughs> Money, kids, music. Um, and then you've got this whole 
you know, what, you, what you're sort of saying there is you've got this whole relationship with the children's father that hasn't worked between you and him, but you've got to somehow, you've got to interact with that person on some level. Yeah, it really because, sucked. Because you've got to get them buying into the fact that they have responsibilities as a parent, yeah. but also if they're no good, and as a person or a parent, then that's damaging too. It sucks, and yeah. it was we had a really, really difficult time. I'm, mm. I feel, you know, I always feel like suffering is an opportunity to learn from things, and I've been so lucky, um, so lucky with the horribleness <laughs> that we went through <laughs> to have learned a lot, yeah. and we've come, uh, we've come this wonderful full circle where probably about four years ago he had separated from a, a really toxic relationship and was just starting to go, fuck, maybe I need to get my shit together, finally, right? Yeah, yeah. And moved in two streets away from me, which at first I was like, oh my God, this is way too <laughs> yeah, close. Yeah. But then I thought, shit, maybe this could be a really cool mm. thing. The kids could walk back and forth and mm. awesome. So we did it and sure enough, that's what started happening. And they started building their relationship with their dad. We started talking a little bit more and healing some of the past wounds, right? Mm. And then my son moved in with him, um, which of course as a young teenager you always wanted to do, he'd mm. always lived with me and mm. he's kind of ready to get away from his sister and his mum, yeah. and that was really incredible for their relationship and then lo and behold the woman who owned his house also owned the house next to me and when she <laughs> sold the house he was in I was like, dude, you've got to fucking call the landlord and mm. ask if that place is for rent, he's like, no, no, it's too close Reb, and I was like, no really and we couldn't find anything and the week before he had to move out I was like call her so he called her and he moved in next door <laughs> wow. and it's been the best thing for us because again just all these other layers of healing mm. and I got to see Calvin more because you know he's right next door and we started rebuilding and we're co-parenting and you know to be able to heal that really toxic old stuff has mm. been I just feel so grateful for and I, in a way that's been mirrored in lots of other areas of my life that we've had these really traumatic situations mm. um but if you work hard enough and open to what the possibility of them, mm. you know, you, mm. something beautiful can come from it too. Well, you know, you say that and you are 100% right, but anyone listening goes, how, how, how does that actually happen? How it happens do, you know, how do you do that? Like how it, it sounds not even easy to say it when it's done, but it's... Oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what, it's, yes, it's the, the hard road, but I was thinking a lot about this, like, you know, in our justice system, we're often asking, putting people in a box and saying, you're a criminal, or you've done this bad, but we've mm. all done bad mm. shit. Yeah. And the hardest thing is to forgive ourselves. Yeah. And we don't want that person to stay in that bad place because it's not beneficial for them mm. or for our, you know, our culture, our community. Mm. And so... I guess I'd learnt um, from a younger age in respects with my relationship with my mum that it is possible for someone to be really not cool and then over time to allow them to change and yeah you've got to have boundaries and safety and all that but when it gets to a point that possibly that other person is ready to change too then I, I guess I really reflected um, on what what benefit did I have from keeping him as being the bad guy mm. you know and um, 
and that opened up the possibility for him to stop being the bad guy and then learn to love himself after mm. being there and I guess we all need to do that with the things there's so many things where you're like Shh, why did I do that or not do that or if I'd just done that or mm. I was a real dick at that stage of my life and and you know it sounds super cheesy but I'm all about the self-love and self-parenting yeah, yeah. because yeah. I've had to do that otherwise I wouldn't have been alive you know so it's, it's I think we get this I've been thinking about this a lot lately that um, we do like this kind of simple line around an idea of of justice yeah, the, the, black and white, that, yeah. the, the black and white that oh, well they got caught and they've been punished they're obviously bad that means that I'm good because I have not done that yeah, as, as you say we've all got stuff we've done or or are capable of um, and but we like that idea that yeah, and we're we lock, obviously on we lock them now. away yeah, or yeah, we yeah. stick them in a poor suburb yeah, yeah, you know yeah. so we don't Forget have to see them. it yeah yeah as opposed to you know I, I guess what I'm grateful about the shift in government's approach is that mm. You know, we're going to start caretaking for some of that stuff, and actually, it's our responsibility too. And it's quite, um, quite different. I mean, I feel that where I live, I live in GI in Auckland, and um, you know, it's it's a poor neighbourhood that's getting uh, bought up and gentrified, and and it's been a, such an eye opener for me living there and kind of being part of a, a community that. Um, is so beautiful mm. and also needs support in a different way, the intergenerational poverty and suffering, you know. How do you heal it? You heal it because you attend to it and care for it, you know. Um, and, I mean, so you have this connection to Christchurch, but, like, the the Eastern, as you said, they, they, I mean, they kind of come into a lot of people's consciousness around because of the earthquakes. Yeah. So even if, you know, even if people have gone and seen their show afterwards, that's such an important part of their story. Yeah, really. Um, what they did, what Adam did solo and and what they did as an entity um, to, to cope themselves and to help people cope. And then, you know, you're connected to that in many ways because you're connected to the band. You're so far more aware of that landscape than say I am you know I have a handful of visits to Christchurch under my belt and that's it yeah. I know people that are there as, as anyone in New Zealand does but I don't have a direct but that was a that was a situation where you know I remember doing an interview with Anna Coddington mm. on the phone when it happened well when the new that day wow. and so the TV news well, it was in the evening, so the TV news app. And so I had never talked to Anna before, and uh, I'd never met her at that point, and um, we just talked for about an hour about about Christchurch, about wow, the earthquake, wow. and who we knew from there, and, you know, it was, uh, it was kind of amazing, but it was kind of strange. It was just this, you know, because all we had to go on was the news. and Yeah, how crazy is this unfolding? Yeah. Man, that's yeah. scary. So, I've, you know, I've, that must have, um, that's a kind of bonding element and an understanding of, of the, the, the reasoning and the approach for empathy that mm. has factored big in all of your lives, I imagine. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I certainly um, wasn't so much involved in the Eastern during that sure. time. But I think... But I, that's what I mean, it's so wrapped up in their story. Yeah. It is, yeah, and we, not long after I joined, we went on the Littleton Roughhouse Revival Tour. Mm. So it was with Marlon and Delaney and Lyndon Puffin mm -hmm. in the Eastern. And um, 
again, it was just kind of another step in growing and mm. making sense of what does it mean to build community through mm. music? Mm. What does it mean to be a musician? And what's really important, you know? Um, and wow, maybe I'd had have it all topsy turvy, you know, mm. which which I, I think I I did. And I guess it was being on tour with the Eastern in Australia um, when I. When Adam, I played him a song, it was one of the songs off of um, my EP, Crazy Horse and Violence, and I'd, I'd written it two-thirds of it but hadn't finished. He's like, Reb, you've got to finish that song. That's mm. a really good song. And, like, I hadn't played anyone anything. I was feeling really nervous about stuff, and so I remember writing a whole another half or verse of it mm. or whatever. Um, and that's where I really got the sense of, oh, maybe, maybe I could start playing my own Mm. shows, mm. you know, um, take that idea of meaningfulness and community spirit and and sense of confidence because you know you're doing something good in the world and apply that to myself, what would that <laughs> what would that look like? Mm. Um, very tentatively, of course, but and I was lucky, I got to open so many shows for them, mm. so I got to slowly build that up and they'd be like, yeah, go rib and I was really a little, <laughs> a little bit of a timid bird. <laughs> well, I was—I mean, the, I guess the question broadly I wanted had wanted to ask you was, uh, yeah, what do you think collaboration has done for you as a, I guess, as a solo artist? It feels like it's been a huge thing in terms of informing not just your performance, but your approach to songwriting or your approach to delivering a song. Um. I guess it's about relationships with people, mm. you know, and um, I feel I feel deeply connected to the people that I play music with, you know, my own music or their music, mm. um, and I want to embody it, and whether it's just, you know, one song with the mm. Waratahs tonight or it's, mm. you know... Uh, doing that last waltz thing, which I learnt the songs in like four yeah, days. You were, I was going to say you were, you were a um, you were a kind of super sub for that, right? You you, you know what the, the crazy thing about it? I got the call from Simone who was organising it, and um, it was unfortunate because Diane Swan couldn't because her right. dad was unwell. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I I knew that I could do it. Mm. Is what happened? Mm-hmm. Is I I knew that I could learn those parts and mm. that was it was actually a big step for me where I went this is going to be super hardcore but mm. there's I'm definitely saying yes to this yeah, no yeah. matter what yeah, yeah. Um, it was it was it was great but you know again it, it took that slow kind of building of relationships and trust I wasn't very good at still working on the trust factor and the commitment factor and and it's having that kind of playground of musical relationships has been a, a way to sort of slowly foster that mm. I suppose mm. and particularly with Sam and Dylan so about are they too late? Um, yeah. stop talking God don't they know what we're doing? Um, when um, we had this sort of idea for an EP Rowan from the wine cellar Rowan Evans had said hey Reba want to record your t- songs and he did, heard me playing solo and opening for the Eastern and um, and so I was super scared. I didn't really think about it. I, I didn't know what it was going to look like. And, um, and we played them. Sam and I played them a bunch, but we sort of brought them to this kind of band of Dave Kahn, Sam and Dylan Story and Brendan Turner and um, Cole Goodley. 
rehearsed like twice in Dylan's garage and turned up, played a show, lost my voice that night, next day recorded this record. Mm. You know, it was so rustic. <laughs> it's, you know, we used the wrong drum track to put the rest of the stuff down and that just was what it is. You know, just crazy stuff. Like, um, there's everything except for one vocal was recorded, li- you know, live with the band. And, um, and that, that little gem, you know, a month later, Sam suicided and... I had this thing, you know, this two things. I had Little Arrows, a whole bloody record that I hadn't finished, and I had Hopeful and Hopeless, this EP, and I just felt tremendous guilt, such guilt for, of course, as a friend, you would hope and think there might be something that you could have done. Why didn't I notice that? Oh, in retrospect, I saw that maybe he wasn't as happy as normal, all that stuff. And then then I had these unfinished musical projects, and maybe if I had finished them, it would be different. He'd still be alive. Yeah, it would have done something or whatever. It was fucked. And I mean, of course, that's what happens with suicide, is that it triggers everybody else's darkness, you know? And you, even though, of course, you're caring about someone else, but it's easy to become self-absorbed with your own suffering and... That that was. I thought I was doing okay, mm. and then it was um, about. It took me about six months, and I just completely plummeted. And I was super depressed. I just all of the things that would normally like keep a me proper delayed grief. Really, yeah, because my yeah. two thirds of my hair fell out. I was like lost sheet loads of weight, and I just was. I I remember saying to Dylan, that you know, usually my kids are like this, you know. Mm barrier from stopping me ever thinking too dark but they were, it wasn't working anymore and um, and I realised how much it had sort of brought up my own grief and my own relationship to mental health stuff and my own journey and and just loss you know mm. when when something like that if someone leaves you and and it was so mixed up in my music which was so much my identity mm. so it was just another kind of unpacking of that old stuff and in a way um I mean, it's sad, but in a way it wasn't till that moment that I realised how much of a musical community I had. Singing in the Hopetown Alpha, you know, um, and looking out, and it was complete, you know, that's an enormous building, it was completely packed, and... Um, going to the wine cellar afterwards for a sort of wake, and someone... We started playing. The Adam played a song, and then Steve Abel yells at Reb, "Hopeful and hopeless." And I played the song. You know, like nearly, it's making me cry now. And um, and I looked out, and I was like, "I, I know these people." I, all of a sudden, I realised I belonged, and I hadn't felt that in the whole time that I lived in Auckland. I hadn't felt that as a musician, and how fucking tragic and that it took me, Sam, passing to even realise what I already had, you know? Well, uh, this is always a bit of a cliche around this stuff or whatever, but I, my understanding was, um, you know, that this was a classic example of no one could have at all seen this coming in Sam. Mm. I mean, I, 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 I'll, I'll speak to this only because I knew Sam. Yeah. You know, I, I actually played in a band with him once long, long ago. Awesome. Um, so he, I, knew a little, I knew him well enough to talk about him, you know, um, and I was a fan of what he did and I thought that he was an amazing musician. I didn't know him 
super well as a person and, and yeah in that selfish moment that we have in those situations yeah. one of one of my first thoughts not my first thought but one of my first thoughts was you know I wish I knew him better mm. um, not so that I could project any of that into a grief but just like what I knew of this guy and what I knew of the people that knew him and what they respected yeah. about him was, was amazing and he was an amazing musician and I you know I loved his his Bond Street stuff, his, yeah. his, I guess his solo stuff, all those band projects. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I remember remember that very well, um, hearing that news, and just like anyone, I suppose, not knowing what to think, you know, not not knowing what, what to think, except, um, <coughs> except for a sadness. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's full on. It's full on when people take their lives, and I think in that moment, you having been very close to it myself several times, um, you lose perspective. You, there's a sense that there's no way out, and that, um, and it, it's better for you not to be here. You know, and that's the hard part is imagining when the people that you love are in that place, and you just want to hold them and say, "Fuck, I'm here. We love you." You know. Um, all those things that you never talk about or say, say them and talk about them with the people that you love because you just never know. And we're not good at having, traditionally, we're not good at having well, this conversation or any version of this yeah. conversation. I think that's because we're afraid of ourselves. Yeah. You know, we're afraid of the things that scare us and... and um, and those are the very parts of us that we need to learn to love. Just like that justice thing, right? It's, it's learning to love the things about you that you don't like or that you fear. And, and uh, that, that the horrible loss of Sam um, was, you know, it impacted everyone differently. Uh, for me, I guess it re-triggered me to remember who I am and... Mm who I want to be and, and and that you need to look after yourself yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly as well you know as well as and, and as you say this whole kind of notion but of the community no, too like, like in the, well there's lots, lots of people here and we're yeah actually, we're we together to be here for each other we're together yeah. Yeah. yeah and you know the more that you even though it seems really hard to start caring about yourself mm. the more that you do that the easier it gets and the lows get less low and and you start to realise that oh this is what being human is all about <laughs> hang on why well, someone had told me when I was a kid that actually we all have ups and downs and that's okay you know it's running away from them that's hard and um, you know to come last year to to release both those records I was really adamant I wanted to release them in the same year um, they were two sides of the same coin and although completely different um, I couldn't leave them any longer like <laughs> I, it was making me feel sick having mm, these mm. things and it, it took me such That's a long true. time after Sam passed anyway to even listen to them but yeah. then once I got it I was like I'm doing this and um, all the fears around will it be liked or how will it be received didn't didn't matter in relation to how important it was for me to share his music, you know, um, and and then I did it. <laughs> it was so good. It, it became, um, I mean, I guess uh, you know, if you really want to analyse it, these are records that would have been fraught with some kind of backstory anyway. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right? yeah. So then. By acknowledging that, putting, choosing to put them out into the world, acknowledging, you know, Sam's passing, his suicide, um, 
becomes a, you know a tribute to him yeah. without it just being that so there's not so it's not just a, a lip service it's not something token yeah um, it manages to be both things a legitimate hard-earned hard-fought release like I'm sure any artist thinks any creative output from them is but this one certainly was in terms of it took a a bloody long time to release that's for sure yeah I think I think I mean it it was hard to tread the line and I worried about you know, how do I talk about this but I don't want it to be like we use. I'm using this as some sort of gimmick you know that this is what's happening um, but I just stuck with I want to be honest about what's happened here and that it's important to say that and, and, and that will navigate me through the muddy waters of, of are you saying too much or saying too little that as long as my heart's there and I you know um, it's going to be okay um, and from that just was I don't know it was I saw how many people were touched by um, by the music by seeing us live in different guises with Hopeful and Hopeless with Little Arrows they're quite different things and um being able to share that honour myself and honour what we did together with Dylan and, and the band um it was a really healing process again. And then, like you say, where we started at the beginning, to come out the other side and go, right, we're going to celebrate Nick Cave's 60th birthday yeah. and do, uh, do you know, how many songs, 20 songs or whatever it was. Um, and it was madness. And it, for me, it just brought me out of myself and went, oh, shit, okay, right, cool, next thing, let's go. Uh, I don't want to um, trivialise this, but I was thinking uh, maybe it's just me that thinks this is um, if there was a time you ever could have used Sam's talents, it would be for that Nick Cave show. So, oh, yeah. so there's that aspect too of yeah. like um, we can, you know, not only honouring him and thinking of him, but also in yourself going, we can do this. Yeah. We can carry on. Well, just little things that you don't think about, like first hearing Dave play Sam's violin line you know just broke me and then because I'd been hearing it in my head for a couple of years like when I'd play solo but that stuff it took me a while a lot of shows I cried during or after um, and so and just remember that how to play music and it be joyful again you know and by this time I really felt like all those things had gone I'd shed all that stuff I was back to you know um, the kid singing songs with my parents and feeling okay about it the 16 year old yeah getting wasted on stage but just being okay about jamming with people feeling confident in myself enough to do something like that and 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 I just you know I'd been deciding it for a long time but okay I'm committing to you Reb <laughs> you know somebody has to if it's not you it won't be anybody so um, I guess now you know again still feel always worried and is this song shit or do I is this okay but I, I'm moving forward with that openness because from that stuff, you know, like I got asked to do the David Bowie. From David Bowie, I met Finn Andrews, who then asked me to go on a solo tour. From going on a solo tour, Neil Finn saw me play and then asked me to do his Out of Silence album. And, you know, it's just snowballed mm. in a really beautiful, organic way that, that's felt like, hey, I'm part of something and, um, and I just want to keep being part of it. What was the um, Neil Finn experience like? Oh. So talk to a couple of people who've been oh, involved yeah. in yeah. that. How 
how was that for you? Well, for me it was just magic. Mm. So I got a phone call, and it's Charlotte Ryan, who is Neil's PA. She used to work for Kiwi mm. FM. Many oh, people will know her. And um, she's like, oh, hey, Reb, I'm just here with Neil Finn, and we've just um, been listening to your EP, and he really loves it, and he's just wondering whether you might want to sing on his new record. And I'm like, um, yes. And she goes, okay, cool, just pass you over to Neil. And passes me over, and I'm like, hi, yeah, yeah. Neil. <laughs> um, and he was so sweet and lovely, and said, you know, see me play, sing with Finn, and um, and he invited me to join the, the supergroup choir. And again, it was this great moment of feeling so honoured to be there, and also knowing, yeah, I can, I can do this. I've, I've actually been singing yeah. for a long time yeah, now, yeah, and I'm yeah. ready. I wasn't yeah. ready ten years ago, you yeah, know. Yeah, and so just the whole time was so joyful for me. And he was absolutely lovely. The whole family was gorgeous, and I felt really welcomed and embraced by them. And um, yeah, I can't say enough good things. And hanging out with you know John and and Sandy and everyone, you know Holly, all the people yeah. that I know and love. Um, we had a fantastic time. I got to meet, spend more time with Victoria Kelly, who's a bloody genius. She did all the string arrangements, and we've since done stuff. And then doing the live shows, I got asked to go to Australia with them as well, which was awesome. And I guess, um, you know, it just felt like, yeah, easy. And then... Um, what else can we do? I was like, oh, look, if Stevie needs Stevie Nicks, uh, lose her voice, yeah. I'm happy to come out, yeah, be a backup yeah, yeah. singer uh, anytime. And yeah, just, so, just so you can one up the rest of the East. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You guys may have opened for her, but yeah, yeah. I'm going to be here tonight. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, just I guess with all of those, I. I just approach being honest in myself and I always feel a bit of a dick but you know whatever and we have a good time like I just went away with the chills for three shows with them and it was the coolest time and we got on super well and you know um I'm just I feel really lucky and so every opportunity I think and it's from Hopeful and Hopeless I think no expectations and anything that you get will be a bonus and so it's not that I'm trying to dumb it down. I'm just going like, let's mm. just be open to whatever happens, mm. and that's just changed things for me. And I don't know if it means that I'll ever be successful or cool, <laughs> whatever. But mm. it makes me feel better about being alive well, and being are, a musician. Those aren't the right reasons to get into it. No, not like and, um, that's my concern around. Um, some aspects of the industry around sort of schooling people into the, the hope and idea of it being a viable option are the suggestion that all you need is, you know, all you need is a hit or you need to do this for long enough and then you'll, you'll be right and all of this sort of yeah. stuff and those are not the right reasons to go about doing it. You know, sometimes, and we've been super lucky in New Zealand, right, the last sort of four years, the sort of plethora of amazing Kiwi artists that have come out, whereas like before we were talking about you, you had one or two female singer-songwriters, mm, mm, mm. and now you've just got this, especially from the folk tradition, sure. right, it's been awesome. Yeah, and Littleton is, yeah. is on the map as it's yeah, been, you know, yeah. like, which is, a, I would imagine, is a... Uh, well, for some people connected to it, it's probably a blessing and a curse in some weird way, but it's uh, it's got to be but special and validating for someone like yourself that's, that knows these people very well, well that come, you know, has yeah. spent time there, been there. And that's that's the power of community, yeah. because that um, Adam was friends with Ben Edwards, and Ben yeah. had never done any recording before, 
and he stuck with him this whole time and Ben learnt with the Eastern as they learnt stuff they recorded an old house you know they're building and and that network I mean really for me the Eastern have been a foundation for all those artists in many ways you know and um, and built that sense of what are we doing it for yeah. that I think a lot of the industry had forgotten you know and now I've I totally value and and kind of really love enjoy playing with other people who value that too yes. you know and I think like um, obviously I mean obviously everyone's played their important part Delaney's obviously another oh, I mean, crucial super... element uh, of that scene and and I guess in a way a, a, a particular approach to music across New Zealand now Del- think, just he's... seeing him sort of um, move more into the kind of producing uh, godfathering yeah, yeah. role and you know um, yeah he is he's a genius mm-hmm. and he was just saying something at the Silver Scrolls about you know maybe maybe one day becoming successful and I was like what the fuck are you talking yeah, about yeah, Delaney yeah. you're so successful yeah. he hasn't but, put a foot wrong but he works so yeah, hard yeah. and he does everything for himself yeah. and I think you know um, sometimes it's nice as, as an artist to have a helping hand you know mm-hmm. and it's been great to see um, Hannah and, and Marlon um, and, and Nadia have some serious helping hands Tammy works her ass yeah, off yeah. you know yeah. and everyone's got their own little approaches um, but they're all great role models you know and you're right, like, te- go 10 years back and we wouldn't be talking about, no disrespect to anyone that was making music then and, and yeah. doing well and working, but we're just, in, in terms of the conversation across, you know, generations and across many tables and places, wouldn't feature so many names yeah. and still be leaving out so many. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're yeah, only, yeah. It's only, only a, a few, yeah. Only a small few that we're even mentioning in, this, in, the, in the context of this. There's so many more people we could be naming. Yes. Didn't feel like that 10 years ago. No, not at all. And like you covered everyone quite quickly. Yeah. And like the, um, it was interesting, so just the Silver Scrolls were a couple of nights ago mm. and... Um, and I was really honoured to be asked to sing Marlon's song with Finn Andrews and Nadia Reid. Mm. And um, the Holly um, Tiny Ruins is banned mm. and the Black Quartet. And it was it was awesome. And I was super excited because I hadn't told anyone <laughs> yeah. that I was going to do it. And Marlon had no idea. He didn't even look at his program to know who was going to sing. So it was just, it was awesome. And that kind of feeling that... There's a and sense you've been asked to do this by Beck Runger, I take it. Yes, which, yeah. Which is cool as well. Right? Co- really <laughs> cool. Another, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so to have this sense of like full circle and you can kind mm. of see where people have started from and where they're growing to and um, and that doesn't mean that they're stopping at all but just it's really beautiful to see your friends grow and have these amazing successes and grow as artists and, and individuals and um, I mean, man, the Silver Scrolls are great this year for that, just to kind of connect with everyone and celebrate. Yeah, mm. awesome. Isn't everyone doing great? We may not be making any money, but, <laughs> but isn't it great? Well, you know, it's, you know, I'm not making any money and I don't intend to ever make any money out of the stuff I'm doing. Like, why would you? Like, you have to be realistic about it. You have to just... You have to want to do it for reasons other than that. Uh, money has to be a... You know, everyone needs money. Money is 
necessary, but money for creative endeavours has to be seen, I think, as a bonus, if you get it, a really nice bonus, like a lovely thing to have happen. If, if it's earned, then it's the reward. Yeah. If it doesn't happen, you find a way to make that happen, like you find a way to drive it, you get a job or you retain a job if, yeah. you know, and you do your art or your creativity on the side. I just feel like the more you commit to yourself and what you're doing, the more everything flows. And I don't mean like the law of attraction, I don't yeah. mean that, but yeah. I, like I'm, I earn more money than I do well, I just quit my job as a, working at an organic shop, you know, like then 20 bucks an hour or whatever mm. before tax. Mm. Um, and, and I get more out of it because then I get another show from that sure. one that I do. And why not invest in that even though I might not be making a lot? I'm not going to make as much money from anything else that I try and do. Oh, don't, don't get me wrong. The dream is to, yeah. for everyone, it should be to try and, you know, make enough money to do it. But, but I worry that people, you know, I'm not getting this from you at all, but there are some people that feel that they're owed a living out of doing it, and that's the difference. Like that's you, what I mean, yeah, right? You yeah. just, that, and that fucks people up, yeah, yeah. because then they get disappointed or bitter. I've been doing this for so long, so I deserve it. Well, no mm. one asked you to do it. No one, frankly, asked, even if people get enjoy, enjoyment from it, no one actually asked you to play the guitar for them, or to, you know, sing, or whatever it is a person does. And I've seen, I, yeah. I've seen, and still see a lot of people that are, go down that route and yep. it's a really sad place yeah. and it's so much I guess maybe you have for me <laughs> I have to break myself a few times to yeah. kind of let that stuff go but um, really gratitude is everything you know and having had experiences in my life on lots of levels around that you know the more you appreciate the more you realise you have mm. you know mm. and then you're like oh my god all this time I was like I didn't have this I didn't have that but actually look at all the shit you've got and maybe you don't need so much you know yeah. Um, yeah. it changes your perspective and it, you feel healthier in your brain yeah. you know but it, it does take unbrainwashing ourselves from that those kind of expectations you yeah. have to work super hard at it yeah. um, it's worth it though yeah I mean yeah for many of us it's uh We've got we've got way more than we actually need, you know, and yeah. we and we yeah there is a lot of rewiring, a lot of retraining that needs to happen, a lot of realizing what you can live without, what you don't need, what's not important to you. And we're super privileged. Yeah. So if we're not taking the fucking time, who is? You yeah. know, and you you need to think about that that everything that you do has an impact especially as a creative person right you're impacting everybody who listens to you and I want to have a positive one and the only way like parenting right mm. you've got they just poke at you and you all your issues you just pass on so you have to keep working yeah. so that you don't you pass on as least baggage as possible right mm. and you know parenting is a great um, a great guide for a great level, a great, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. well how do you manage um Coming, coming home from like a tour or just a show and then you have to change hats and well, then now appear and again. It's, it's super, a bit easier it's now. Super, oh, it's super easy now. And they've grown up with yeah, it. Yeah, right. You know, just hearing, it was a couple months back and hearing my son talk about some mates, like how how grateful he felt to grow up in this musical family you know he's got people that he could stay with all throughout New Zealand they're known mm. they've been known since they were little you know now mm. they're teenagers and mm. and they've got um, aunties and uncles in a place where we don't really have family anymore yeah, yeah, you know yeah. so um, I think 
I think it's been amazing for them and not easy all the time but you know they come to gigs and remember playing pinball at the King's Arms and eating the hot mm. chips and I'd be like do you want a lemonade and it was the only other time they got it so like they're, they're kind of and are they uh, are they good kids I'm oh, asking yeah. you that because I get how honest you are so you're going to tell me that shit if they are yeah, no, I get the feeling they're not but they're brilliant yeah. they're really just they're just my favourite my son is actually He's been a month and gone now. He's in Africa, and um, he's travelling for six months with a couple of mates. And he's an amazing artist and writer and photographer. Oh my God, the photos that he's taking are just like National Geographic level. It's amazing, and um, and I couldn't be more proud of him. Um, super sensitive, lovely, just the greatest guy. You know, which is hard to say about mm. young men these days. Mm-hmm. And um, and my daughter is just well. It's important that we do when when you have someone that you can hold up as an example. Yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. And and he was really a leader, ducks at his school, and just you know, um, he's awesome. And my daughter's uber smart. Um, she's an amazing musician, and she you know she made a, several of my music videos. She's awesome at editing, yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know, and to kind of have interacted with both of them around um, around my music in that mm. way she's worked stuff he's done artwork for me it's it's great and now I feel like we have this beautiful friendship and yeah I'm probably still annoying sometimes well, you don't have to pay them yeah I know, you know just handy, well they've been free roadies <laughs> yeah, yeah, for a long yeah. time now so <laughs> that's what I bred them for um, yeah it's cool it's it's yeah. I, I love them it's um <laughs> It's amazing to me that, you know, I was going to say earlier, like, well, I think I did at some point, like, how we aren't very good at the conversation around depression and suicide. Some people are trying to get better at it. Um, Here we are in an environment where there's a bit of background noise, which might frustrate some people listening, but um, you're just telling me about the stuff that's happened to you and we don't and we don't know each other particularly well I mean, we, we know each other a lot better now yeah because of this but you're just openly discussing this and um and that's that feels important but it's also you know i don't i don't um undervalue at all how how amazing that is and and and, and it's always i've always felt it's a privilege to me doing these conversations mm. um but you know, I've had a couple of people say to me, "Oh, you get you get people revealing some pretty intense things or some very personal things," and it's it's um, it's a real you know it's a real privilege of the situation to have that happen. It's really I important. think it's harder to share when you're in the midst of it. Mm, and mm. for me, I don't have the tendrils attached anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, of course, I had little ones, but not. Um, and I don't want to be afraid. Well, you're aware of uh, yeah. how to manage it. Yeah, and so so, yeah. so I, I've always been. Also, your way your conversation <laughs> becomes um, instructive, though. It know? does, and yeah. I find myself often having those kinds of conversations with people. Last night, I just had a 20-minute conversation with a woman. She'd never seen me play. She was at this house concert, and she was, you know, seven and a half months pregnant, and really getting scared. And we had this massive conversation about birthing, and I'm like, birthing was the greatest thing I've ever done. I wish I could have more babies and we talked about that whole being a mother and and you know I'm a feminist and and I I I impart I want to impart that I want to impart that sort of openness and compassion and um, and strength to everybody you know mm. uh, especially when I don't feel it myself <laughs> so, um, so you know it's good it's good practice for me mm. I think it's good practice for all of us um, 
I tend to waffle on a bit, but... Um. So you've just very recently played with the Chills, you're playing with and, and for the Waratahs. Yeah, you're speaking of which, I'm going to have to go yeah, and bloody yeah, do yeah, a sound yeah. check. So you're home. ticking off these... Um, and you mentioned Neil Finn, which was what last year and into this year. These are pretty big, cool things. It's and really cool. And next, in a, a week and a half, or yeah, yeah, just over a week, I'm going to be starting to record my next record. Right. And that's um, that's really, really exciting. Um, we're going to be doing it at Roundhead. And I just like about three months ago, I was thinking, oh, I should book, book a bunch of shows and whatever. Yeah. And then I just woke up one morning. I was like, fuck, I need to just record a record. Now's the time. And so I had some songs but I've just been pushing myself to write and and I've never taken it this seriously before I've never like I said it's always been like thrown together or kind of left behind you know and this time I'm putting it in front this is what I want to do and so it's it's pretty pretty exciting I mean I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> but, but that's the cool part you know well thanks for um, finding some time squeezing some time and yeah because we were going to we were going to chat about a year ago I think or yeah something and it didn't work out for whatever reason and I'm really grateful that you were Gosh, you've just travelled down here, talked to me, and now you're going to go and do some work. I better, you? I better go. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm going to. Otherwise, Barry, Barry's a tyrant. You know. Oh, I, I, I do, I've had Barry at my house, and it's like um, what an yeah, asshole. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I love, I love Barry. I love the Warriors. <laughs> Just hope we die. Just on my block, there's ten single moms and kids around the street while they're sucking their thumbs. There's gang house on the corner, school on the yard that we grow. Wanna shift. Die.